Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Melanin Margin, the weekly chat show where conversations about race are never off the table. We're your hosts, Quavia Andre Williams. And Daquan Wilson. So let's get into this week's conversation. What's hot on the table this week? An article on Vulture magazine titled The Year of the Neville Baby has sparked some interesting discourse online regarding familial connections to wealth and opportunities. Alex Gorman of The Guardian writes that while the Nepo baby chatter has mostly been centered around the most visible examples, famous people, the outrage underpinning it is broader. Inherited wealth makes it easier to get ahead in every industry, which is why New York's Vulture magazine's deep dive draws a clear distinction between being a Nepo baby and simply being rich. Because having not only inherited wealth, but also a parent who can stick their foot in the door for you makes succeeding that much easier. If a field is highly compensated, highly regarded, or just highly visible, you can bet you'll find second or even third generation dynasties working within it. So Andre, with that being said, why do you think so many people are upset about Nepo babies? Um, I think that there are some people who would like to believe that the anger we're seeing surrounding nepotism babies is born out of jealousy, but I don't agree. Um, while that may be the reason some people are upset, I think that the majority of people are angry because there are some Nepo babies who put on the front that the reason they got to the position they are in is due to hard work and dedication. And that is not the truth, Ellen. Um, while no one is saying that you haven't worked hard or that every single success you've had is a result of your well-connected and wealthy parents, you cannot deny the fact that your parents' influence affected how successful you became. I think that people vastly misunderstand how important time is when it comes to chasing your dreams. Like there is this severely misguided idea that high-class society has sold to people that goes a little something like, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Or in the words of Kim Kardashian, when she was asked about her advice for women in business, she said, quote, get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like no one wants to work these days. But the one common thread that I think people don't understand is that our society isn't built with the little man in mind. It's built to keep the upper class in power. So it is completely false that we all have the same 24 hours in a day as wealthy and well-connected, or that we all have to, all we have to do is work hard and we'll get to the top. For example, it's easier to spend time honing your acting craft and auditioning for roles when your mom is a well-established actress who can not only get you connected to an agent, but help you move into an area where there are a plethora of casting calls and afford to pay for all your living expenses. However, a regular person who has aspirations of acting with no help from family or friends may not be as lucky. They would have to get a job, support themselves, and if they have kids, support them too. Where the actor with the well-connected parent has hours upon hours and the funds to take the time to focus most of their energy on acting, the regular person has to work 
for their funds to get the headshots, move to the right cities and so on, while also going to work and paying bills. The hours each of these people in my example have to chase their dreams are far from equal. And the one with less to worry about has a higher advantage and a likelihood of success. Now, this is not to say that just because you don't have all those connections and wealth that you can't become successful. There are plenty of people who have come from the most unfortunate of circumstances who have become some of you know our biggest stars. However, to completely discredit the advantages that other people have because of their circumstances or their parents' money and fame is just not realistic. It would be like if Daquan and I were both in a competition on some type of reality show and one of Daquan's parents was the show producer and creator. While no one's saying that I couldn't still win, Daquan has a decidedly higher chance of winning because they have more resources to pull from than I did coming in. But Daquan, why do you think that people are so upset? I think it's because so often we are pushed and force-fed false narratives. You know, it all starts with like this American dream, the myth mm -hmm. of the American dream that anybody and everybody can just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and achieve that uh, dream life for themselves when in reality, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and like you said, nobody is saying that these Nepo babies are untalented. There are some that <laughs> lack a certain amount of talent that you would think they would have, but um, but I think for the most part, a lot of these Nepal babies that we are talking about are incredibly talented, are, you know, great actors and actresses, great singers and musicians. And that's not the point that we're getting at when we're calling out these Nepal babies. Like you said, we are talking about how they had access to so many different opportunities. It makes it a lot easier to break into the music industry when your parents can fund you studio sessions, mm -hmm. when your parents have connections to a producer who will listen to your tracks and you know give you feedback, everything like that. And I feel like this is not something that is far removed from everyday society. I mean, even for working class people, it's easier to get a job somewhere if somebody uh, who works there knows you and can vouch for you. It's called mm -hmm. a reference. And we mm -hmm. all use references in our lives, whether it's applying for colleges, getting jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not something far removed that, you know, having somebody in the industry or having a connection to that industry makes it easier to be successful in that industry. And I also want to go back to what you're saying about the whole, everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. Because, <laughs> girl, no, we don't. <laughs> we there do not. Who are working two to three jobs just to survive. If you're working 20 hours a day and you have four hours to sleep, what time you have left to really <laughs> be hustling to grind, to get that music out, to, you know, publish something on SoundCloud or iTunes or uh, Spotify or get that audition tape in. And I also think that one of the biggest problems with Nepo Babies in this conversation is there's already such a mysterious aura around a lot of these industries. When it comes to the arts, especially things like theater, uh, music, etc., 
we focus on the final product. Mm. For most of the times, the final product is the only thing that we see. We don't know how it came to be. We don't know how a person got the studio time, et cetera, to do this project. And there are a lot of mechanisms that lead up to that final product that the average person really wouldn't know much about. So when you have to not only try to find time to do all of these things, but also teach yourself how to break into the industry, how to produce a track, how to make an audition reel, that is extremely hard to do all of those things and still perform and play on the same playing field as people who have had acting coaches since they were in diapers. Yeah. No, I fully agree. And I also don't think that being a Nepo baby is necessarily a bad thing. Like, first off, you can't choose who your parents are. And second off, nothing is wrong with being the child of well-connected parents. You just have to be willing to acknowledge that this is, in fact, the case. Like, it really boggles my mind how there are so many celebrities who we know for a fact have parents who have given them a, quote, small loan of a million dollars or even on a smaller scale paid for their living expenses so that they are able to focus on their dreams, but still like to pretend as if they started from the bottom. Like, no, baby, you started from the middle. Like, (laughs) I feel like I have to repeat this. Like, we're not saying that you didn't work hard. Like, Yes, you still probably had to climb to the top two and sustain yourself through your talent, but it's a hell of a lot easier to get up a thousand stairs when you were born at step number 500. And, you know, you can jump on an escalator where, you know, you can go the rest of the way up. I mean, it still might take you some time to get up to the top, but not nearly the same amount of time as it would be for someone who had to physically walk up all those stairs by themselves from the very first step. Like, Regardless of how many oppressions you face, everyone can benefit from privilege in some way or another. We've talked about this countless times on the, on the podcast before. So no, no one's saying that you shouldn't, you know, you should feel bad that you're a Nepo baby. Just be upfront about it. Recognize the privilege you can get from that and move the fuck on. Like, and if you really want to serve the worlds, you know, use some of that privilege and opportunity to help people, you know, who don't have those same connections and opportunities and make it easier for them. But Daquan, what do you think? Do you think being a Nepo baby is technically a bad thing? No, not at all. I think that it comes down to how these Nepo babies move in society. I think that a lot of times we see this kind of dissonance when it comes to it. A lot of Nepo babies won't acknowledge the privileges that they had because they feel like somehow acknowledging their privilege diminishes their talent. When in reality, those two things are separate. You Mm -hmm. can have privilege and you can also have talent. And that is the problem that a lot of people face because we're seeing time and time again, I think there's a new article every few months where somebody is like, oh, social media stars are ruining this industry, making, you know, acting so just drivel and all of these different things. And it's like, is it really that social media stars are ruining these industries or providing an ex- another accessible route to get into, to get into this industry. That's the thing, because yes, you know, you had to audition in front of this 
TV director or you had to be in the mm -hmm. studio and have this producer, you know, ripping out your tracks for X, Y, and Z and these people posting their stuff on SoundCloud or posting TikToks of like them acting and doing skits and all of that stuff and getting attention. It's completely different. You know, so many people have access to social media. And so it just, it is providing another in into the industry, which even when we look at social media, there is still nepotism within social yes. media. There yes. are still people who have connections to all of these different things. To collab have, and stuff like that, yeah. Right, who have like these rich parents to where they can, you know, not go to school or not go to college or not get mm -hmm. a job and spend all of their time recording, you know, TikToks or whatever. So it's just like, acknowledge your privilege. It's not that hard and it doesn't diminish your talent at all. I also wanted to jump back on what you said about like this discourse, because I've been seeing the same thing online where people are like, there's no movie stars anymore. Like there's no real acting craft. Anybody can just become a da da da. And it does come from a place of privilege to say that because we're forgetting that back in the day, especially, you know, for acting and any kind of performance careers, it is it was incredibly difficult to be seen if you did not know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And I think that nowadays we're moving a lot, of, we're straying away from your name, like as an actor being the thing that sells the movie. And we're kind of straying towards, is the story good? Is your performance good? Because if we notice a lot of times back in the day, there was some movies that were made that didn't need to be made with actors who probably didn't deliver what they could have delivered or who, what somebody else could deliver had they had the opportunity to. And I think that now we're moving towards a more a more fairer industry a little bit, not, not that much, but a lot fairer than it has been because we're seeing that there is people taking a chance on more experimental works. There are people who are taking a chance on artists who are not, you know, they knew John, who knew Jack, who knew Joe Gillian, who knew X, Y, and Z. So we're seeing a lot more of that fairness coming. And I think that that's what's making people have this anger because they're like, I had to have these connections. I had to beat the pavement and you just made a social media page the next post and X, Y, and Z. And it's kind of like, we're not going to discredit the fact that these people have talent as well. We're not going to discredit the fact that the people who are on social media, on TikTok, on, you know, whatever Twitch, whatever, you know, platform there is who have come up from nothing and brought themselves up to something did not work and earn their spot where they are. You know, we're just not going to do that. So you could be mad, just be pressed, just be pressed, but open them doors up, baby, open them doors up. <laughs> now in a post on Reddit, we find that a woman feels left out of social gatherings because she doesn't work in the same field as her wife. She asks Reddit's Am I the Asshole forum to weigh in. Her wife, a doctor, is close friends with her coworkers. Whenever the wife and coworkers get together, they speak endlessly about work. She says, quote, Whenever we gather for this meal, there's only medical talk and I feel extremely left out. I have tried to actively change the topic a few times, but whenever I have tried, the group directs it back to work and medicine. I can tell that she's upset. I have this horrible feeling that I've ruined her time with her friends and feel like a terrible person. I mean, did I do something wrong? So Daquan, do you think she's the asshole? No. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> um, absolutely not. I think that, you know, when it comes to friendships and going through situations, relationships, all of the things, 
if you're being excluded, you're you don't have to continue to be excluded. Like, I think she tried to, you know, remedy the situation by changing the topics, maybe talking mm. about things that, you know, more general, more general things that she's interested in that may be a connection point. But if they continuously talk about work, like that's a normal thing. Like m- me talking to my coworkers is mostly going to be about things I know my coworkers know about, which is mm-hmm. work. I mean, especially <laughs> when you're a doctor and like you're dealing with all kinds of nonsense happening on a daily basis. When you have your time off, you're going to be like, girl, let me tell you what happened at the OR yesterday while you was out. Or, you know, you're going to talk about things that you have the connection to. So obviously she felt left out. And frankly, you can go to events without your partner. Like, if anything, I feel like the partner is the asshole in this situation. Because if your partner comes to you and be like, hey, you know, I'm feeling excluded at these events. Like, I feel like I don't really have anything to contribute to the conversation. Like, you should want to, you know, include your partner in something. It's really not that hard to try to change the (laughs) conversation or let that conversation live for just a little bit longer before going back to work. And you can also go to events without your partner. Like, if you're going to go talk about work with your coworkers, that's fine. Go to the event with your coworkers and have a good time without having to worry about all of these different things. So no, she's not the asshole in this situation. She's literally just feeling excluded. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that when it comes to your partner's friends, if you get along with them and you become friends too, that's awesome. And if you have nothing in common or you just don't vibe with them, that also is fine. Like, and like you said, I think that if anybody was reading the situation, it was the wife. Like, um, if you wanted your partner to be with your friends and you wanted them to be friends so badly, then the least you could do is ensure that you include your wife in the conversation. Like, if you know that all you and your friends talk about is a very niche topic all the time that you know for a fact that your wife has no clue about, then maybe this isn't the friend group to introduce her to or try to steer the conversation in a more general direction, like you were saying, um, so that your wife can have some more input. Like, for instance, I'm a huge fan of Charm 1998 series. I think there's no surprise here on the podcast. I've talked about it several times. Really? Um, <laughs> I would have never guessed. <laughs> Not from this tattoo, anything. But, but I'd hope that if I ever got into a relationship, that my partner would watch the show with me. And even if they aren't the biggest fan of the show as I am, just having them there is enough for me because it's not about, you know, them falling in love with it so much as it's about sharing things that make me like happy with them. But I'm not going to bring them to a charmed fan convention with me and my friends where I know that all we'll be talking about is the show that my partner has probably only seen a handful of episodes of and isn't as invested in as we would be. Like, that wouldn't be fair. If you want your partner to participate in things that you love, it's your job to make sure that when you invite them to these events and stuff, that you are actively working to make them feel like they are included. Also, it is okay to have some things that are just yours. Like, and I think you were kind of alluding to this too, like, 
while I appreciate all of my friends for, you know, different reasons, and I think they are all equally bad bitches in their own right, I have no interest at all in getting them all together because I like having personal friendships that I don't have to share. Like, there are certain inside jokes that I have with each of my friends that in a group setting probably wouldn't make any sense. And then there is the inevitable reality that if I were to get all of my friends together and for some reason or another, they might not get along, that would create complications that could affect the nature of our personal relationships with each other. And the same is true here. Like, would it be cool if you and your wife's friends like all hang out and had a good time together? Of course, but I think it, I don't think it's hardly necessary like at all. But what do you think, Daquan? I mean, like, do you have to be friends with your partner? Like your partner's friends? No, not at all. <laughs> Hell no. In fact, I actively discourage. I'm not going to say actively discourage. <laughs> I think when it comes to friendships and relationships, you need to be able to set real good boundaries on where those friendships and relationships overlap, if they mm -hmm. overlap at all. And I think it's also so important in a relationship to just have things on your own. Yeah. Like you have your friends, I have my friends. You can go hang out with your friends over there. I can go hang out with my friends over here. Yeah. We don't need to exist in every single situation at all the times. Like, you know, sure. Like if I was in this situation, I would be like, maybe I'll go to one to two events every now and then every now and I, it's then also yeah. because like i'm an introvert so like i don't really mind just sitting there not engaging in a conversation <laughs> because like if i'm being honest i don't feel like talking <laughs> but that's just me but i think you know you have to find the ways to compromise and find boundaries that you can set that are realistic you know if you're being excluded and it's hurting you or you know you're not enjoying it don't force yourself to go and create that boundary. Talk about that boundary with your partner being like, hey, you know, I love that you want to introduce me to your friends and, yeah. you know, have us all click together, but it's not working. I'm feeling excluded. And, you know, maybe I'll come every now and then, but like, I don't want to make this a regular occurrence. And then you can go out your friends, like have your own things in a relationship because, you know, I don't personally like relationships where you're all over each other all the time. Like, I need my time away. I need my time separated and like where we're doing our own things. I agree. I think that they're like the way that you can solve this kind of thing is that if you want your friends, like if you want your friends to meet your partner, I would say do it in a setting that like, especially if you know that y'all only talk about a certain type of thing. I would say like maybe go to the movies together, right? So like you and your partner and like your friends all get together. You introduce it, hey, this is so and so, and we've been together. Da da da. I really like y'all to meet, you know, her, them, whatever. And they're like, oh yeah, so nice to meet you. And then you go into the movie, y'all watch the movie together, and then after the movie, y'all can sit and talk about what you talked, like what you saw. And I think that's kind of a good way to kind of break down that medical comp that medical talk or whatever like niche topic y'all talk about because now y'all have just kind of had a collective experience together and y'all can like kind of talk about that or at least have a easier way to have a conversation 
or like, you know, maybe take it to like a, like a concert or something like that. Because if you know that in these intimate settings where it's just them and y'all and there's nothing else going on, it may be a little more difficult for them to kind of break away from what they're used to talking about versus if you were to have something that was more of a communal thing, like, you know, versus going to dinner, going to the movies, going to a concert, going to a festival of some kind, like where there are different stimuli going on that can possibly steer the conversation away from like whatever that niche thing is. But I do agree with what you were saying too. Like, I think too many people have this idea that when you're in a relationship with someone that you have to do everything together. And that is actually a symptom of an unhealthy relationship, in my opinion. Like, I will never forget um, what my Psych 101 teacher told me um, on the first day of class. Somehow during the introductions, we all got on the topic of marriage. And she said that one thing that she hates to hear is when people say things like, my partner completes me. And since I've been raised on watching Disney movies and romantic comedies, I responded, well, like, isn't that what you're looking for? Like your other half, your soulmate? And she said, absolutely the fuck not. She didn't say it like that. I'm joking. <laughs> but she was like, absolutely. She was like, absolutely not. Like you should never enter a relationship as half a person because what happens if it doesn't work out? Are you just never going to be complete again? She said that for a relationship to work or to have its best chance at success, both parties have to come in as full, complete, individual people. You should have your own dreams, ambitions, and goals. And what you should be looking for in a partner is someone whose dreams, ambitions, and goals align with yours. Like even if you aren't going down the exact same path, you need to be headed in the same direction or to the same destination. And that has always like, like stuck with me. But what about you, Daquan? Like, do you think that you and your partner need to be attached at the hip like that? Absolutely not. I, uh, it's it's giving dependency. It's giving codependency. <laughs> right. Like, I think, you know, we should be beings that can be inter independent of our partners. Yes. Because you are a person before your partner. Exactly. You are a person, if you and your partner break up or if something happens, you should still be able to be a person without them. And so in these situations, I think, you know, we are fed this narrative of like, oh, we complete each other. And like, this is what love should be when in reality, that's not. It's like you said, I see that as a very toxic form of love because- yeah, it's cute. I say it's I, cute for like movies and TV shows and books and shit, right. but not in the real world. Yeah. like In the real world, it's like, I want to be able to have my own things. I want to exactly. be able to- you know, one day I, I just want to talk about to my friends about social media. I want to talk to Andre about all of the things that we do and yeah. talk about on the melon margin. And my partner may not be interested in any of that stuff. And I should be able to be like, hey, you know, we'll hang out later. Let me talk to my friend <laughs> right now and like come back and like, you know, just communicate. I feel like we aren't taught healthy communication no. in relationships all the time. It's always, oh my gosh, I'm so in love and we're attached at the hip and we complete each other's sentences and all of this stuff. And it's like, be able to disagree. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is being able to disagree with your partner on certain things and being able to communicate that. Yes, you want me here. However, I don't want to be here. And these are my reasons. <laughs> 
And, you know, it doesn't have to be like this negative thing. If I don't want to come to an event with you and your friends, it's not anything on you and your friends. I'm sure they're amazing people. They are amazing people. <laughs> we just don't have anything in common. So like you said, in these situations, go to a movie, talk about the movie, go to a concert, or even do something active. Like yes. do something where you're actively engaged and focusing on like, I don't know, a arcade or like one yeah. of those rides where you're like doing the like boo blasters or something yeah. like that where you're actively doing something rather than you know, dinner or work events where there's a lot of downtime and that downtime gets filled with work conversations. And so you're just sitting, twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing, being disconnected from the situation altogether. Also, not you going, not you doing the DG good, going like, I understand your concern. I do not share that same concern. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I fully, I really do agree with you. I think that Oftentimes, like when we get into these like situations, I think that no to me, nothing is sexier than being able to understand, yes, I want to spend time with you. Yes, I enjoy the time we spend together, but I also love knowing that, oh, you know, you have friends outside of me, you have a life outside of me. And I think honestly, that makes a relationship stronger in my opinion, because now it's like, oh, no, girl, let me tell you, Baby, let me tell you what happened at, at, at the fucking club with my friends the other day. Uh, let me tell you what happened at da da da. You know what I'm saying? Because it just, I feel like you get to have more to talk about, number one. <laughs> like, because you're able to have more experiences outside of your partner. And I also think that when we see those videos online where it's like, oh, my girlfriend wants to go out with her part, with her friends or with her da da da's, and I'm like, she can't go or he can't go. And it's kind of like, I just think that that's just so problematic. Like, it's like, Y'all are individual you don't trust people. each other. Y'all don't trust each other. Exactly. And it's like, I want to see my partner have a good time. I want to see them. I, I sometimes, like you said, Daquan, as much as I love, you know, you know, X, Y, and Z person, or as much as I might care about you, I sometimes want to be alone. I <laughs> and it's not no shade. It don't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, care about you. But like, I don't want to spend 24-7 with you all the time. Goddamn. <laughs> I want to do some other shit. Like. Right. Let me do me. <laughs> Let me do me. Exactly. In an article written by Logan Plant on IGN Logo, we learned that sources have told Variety that some Warner Bros. Discovery executives are still willing to work with the actor Ezra Miller, even after all the legal issues the actor has been facing since June of last year. They had been accused of throwing a chair at a woman grooming minors, and other misconduct. They were also charged with felony burglary in Vermont. Then in August, Miller apologized for their behavior, saying they were struggling from, quote, complex mental health issues, end quotes. The apology tour continued as Miller reportedly met with WB Discovery executives to save the Flash movie. Miller pleaded not guilty to the charges, and the next hearing for the case will be on January 13th. According to the report, the fact that Miller has stayed out of trouble since they began mental health treatment last summer has reopened the door to Miller appearing as The Flash again in the future. So, Andre, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on Warner Brothers deciding to move forward with Ezra Miller despite their legal issues. 
Hmm. Uh, I think that after this decision, I don't want to hear shit else about Will Smith's Oscar slap. Like, I don't want to see nary thing piece. No motherfucking white critics saying that Will Smith needs to be punished any further, blackballed or so on, because this shit. Hello. Daquan, this shit with Ezra, I cannot even begin to explain how upset this makes me. Like, this is a prime example of how LGBTQIA plus white people may be oppressed by their sexuality, but still reap the benefits of white supremacy. I've said it once, I'll say it twice, I'll say it as many times as I need to in order to get this shit to stick, but mental illnesses, say it with me, explain, they do not excuse your actions. Now, I won't claim to know what Ezra Miller's complex mental issues are. And I won't claim that they didn't have any effect on their actions because I don't know. What I will say is that in so many situations where famous white people are doing some seriously fucked up shit, their representatives and their teams always seem to throw out mental issues as the end all be all excuse. Now, many of them, have weaponized mental health issues as a scapegoat, and I'm sick of it. Like, not only does it make it incredibly hard to differentiate people who are actually struggling with mental health issues from the people who want to escape the justified consequences of their actions by claiming that they were only racist, sexist, homophobic, etc., because they were struggling with mental health, but it also perpetuates this dangerous idea that the sole reason why someone does the wrong thing is because they have a mental disorder. And that's not always the case. We talked about this plenty of times before on the podcast too. Like some people do bad things because they want to. Some people are just assholes because they can be. Some people are just bigots because they are choosing not to be better. I don't know how many fucking times we have to say this shit, but y'all just not, it's not clicking, Steven. But back to WB and Ezra Miller. I think that while Miller may have been struggling with mental health issues, there are still consequences to your fucking actions. And from what I've seen as of date, they have not received many and they were forgiven fairly easily. Like, even if WB didn't want to lose money from the shoots they have done for the Flash film, the fact that Ezra is not only allowed to continue filming, but they've also opened the door for Miller to return as the Flash in future films, it is not the tea whatsoever. Like, what's really getting me is that there still hasn't been any sort of retribution outside of Miller's apology. It was just then, I'm sorry, I promise I won't do it again. I had complex mental issues. And WB said, all righty then, you're good to go. Way to go, sport. Like, this shit is just not sitting right with my spirit. But then, Corn, I'll pass it back to you, bitch. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are... <laughs> now, it's always hot on the... <laughs> because... How... Where do I even start with this? Like... I'll start here. Complex mental health issues are not solved in a matter of months. In <laughs> fact, so, you know, mental health issues aren't something you can necessarily solve all the time. You can treat it, 
you mm -hmm. can, you know, do things to diminish the impact these mental health issues have on your everyday life. But I feel like in this situation, we are expecting so much change out of Ezra Miller in a matter of months. I'm not saying they <laughs> haven't improved. They probably have shown some sort of improvement. They've stayed out of trouble, X, Y, and Z. But I think that we aren't really having the mental health concern that we think we are. You know, in this <laughs> situation, I think this would be a perfect opportunity for Ezra Miller to step out of the spotlight for a while, mm -hmm. you know, and deal with their mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's a situation where, yes, you know, whatever you're doing is working now. But when you go back to filming, when you're having to do tours for different press shoots for this movie, all of this and that, you can get extremely busy and you might not have the same time to, you know, go to therapy or mm -hmm. whatever treatment plan Ezra Miller is on. So if I was an executive, I'd be like, you know what? I see that you're making progress. Mm -hmm. I want to respect that progress and give you more time to deal with this rather than subjecting you to even more stress with come, that comes with being an actor, you know, touring, doing press shoots, all of these different things. Like that stress Comic-Con, shit like that. Those things, exactly. So it's one of these situations where it's 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 not giving. It's like, mm, like, mm -mm. Even if, like, we sunk a lot of money into this, having to shoot everything. Just do the right thing. You know, it's not that hard. And, you know, because the melon margin and race is never off the table, had Ezra Miller been Black, Bitch, WB would have dropped that movie so fucking fast, deleted the footage, issued a statement, and hired a whole new Flash actor within about two weeks, maybe, maybe a month. Like, if Ezra Miller was Black, we would not be having this conversation at all. Like, if the Will Smith or the Jussie Smollett situation has taught us anything, it's that the public will sever ties and turn on Black people without question or concern the moment we fuck up. I mean, look at how quickly everyone dropped Jesse Smollett before he was found guilty and how carefully the situation with Ezra Miller has been handled. And Miller hasn't even gone to court yet or received a fucking verdict. Like, I'm not here to argue whether Jesse or Will Smith should or shouldn't have been dealt with in the way that they were. But if we compare the nature of what those two did versus what Ezra Miller has done, Miller should have gotten way, way fucking worse than a slap on the wrist. But Daquan, like, do you think that WB, like, decided too fast on inviting Ezra Miller back considering that their court date is still pending like absolutely like <laughs> the the court still has to make a decision <laughs> like y'all these y'all jumping the gun real fast too fast and to go back to what you're saying before if Ezra Miller was black 
they'd be up under the courthouse. They'd be <laughs> six feet under. They wouldn't even get a chance to be the Flash again. Like, they would be gone away for a long time. Because we see all these times, you know, with Will Smith getting banned from the Oscars or Ten Jesse years. Smollett case. Like, when Black people commit crimes or do certain things that are seen as bad, it's like, throw the whole book. We about this time. Throw the whole person away. Just throw, throw the whole person away. We're throwing, just gone, done. Real cancellation. But in a situation like this, like, are we ignoring these allegations of, you know, assaulting a woman with a chair, grooming minors? Like, that's not some. Oh, you're going <laughs> into whole thing. So I, I understand. No. No, even if you were like, I think, I think we need to say it again. I know we said it this episode, but mental health issues explain, but do not excuse. That's, this is not an excuse for any of these things because they are inexcusable acts. So I think that, you know, race does play a large part in this. Like, you know, there's, even in situations of like gun violence in this country, everybody mm -hmm. talks about like black on black crime and, you know, black gang members and gun violence and this and that. And then you have like a white mass shooter or white school shooter. And it's like, they were such a good kid. They were bullied. They were they depressed. Complex mental health issues going on. And it's like, okay, Susan, we get it. Like, Let's talk about what's really happening in this situation. Or, or even better than that, realizing too that oftentimes they said the people who are, you know, bullied and stuff like that are usually more likely to hurt themselves than they are the people. Like somebody said, I, th I, th I think you might have seen the TikTok too, Dick One, but like this lady was like, um, bullied kids don't shoot up schools, bullies do. And I was like, oh, right? Right? Like, not to say that, of course, there aren't some people who do, but it's just like, for the most part, it's like when you were breaking it down, it's like, oh, they were just, they were like, da da da, they were bullied X, Y, and Z. And then people talk about why they were bullied, and it was because they were racist as fuck, or homophobic, or trans, or all the X, Y, and Z, like transphobic, or da da da, or whatever, whatever. Or they were just like horrible fucking people, and people like, I don't want to talk to you. Don't like come near me because you are nasty as fuck as a person. So it's like, it's just this weird kind of narrative that, like you said, too, we always want to humanize white people when they make mistakes we want to humanize white people when they really do some egregious ass shit but when black people do it, it's like oh hell no i'm throw the whole person away throw the throw the whole you ain't never working again slapping somebody oh my gosh i, I was, can't believe it i, I was traumatized bitch take several seats please now the table is always hot with current events and social issues but sometimes the heat can get a little intense Let's turn the temp down, take a breather, and get into this week's topic cool down. So, Andre, I wanted to ask you, what are your content creation icks, and are there any styles of videos that you would never do? Um, I have several content creation icks that will instantly get you blocked without hesitation, but for the purpose of time, I'll narrow it down to about four main ones. Uh, the first is 
any type of video where people are doing like religious content, like Jesus videos, tarot reading, spirituality, it's an automatic no for me. Like I respect everyone's right to believe whatever they want to believe, but I have a serious issue with people who claim that their faith is the only way to quote unquote salvation or people who claim that they can see the future or people who claim they can fix your whole life with a few crystals and a, 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 a choice few spells like, and why do I have an issue with those videos, you might ask? Um, because usually they have a fee attached to them. So it's a fuck no for me. Um, so the second type of uh, content is any type of food waste videos. Usually it's the people who are making ridiculously large portion sizes of food that they don't eat for a joke. Or the people who make those Sundays in the toilets and such like that. Like... It's giving, you're trying to get views and likes in the most desperate way possible, and I'm not here for it. Um, the third type is any kind of overindulgence videos. That's the ones where rich people are just showing you them being rich. Um, <laughs> the last type of video, which Daquan and I have talked about at length outside of the show, is any type of video where people are recording themselves feeding the unhoused or giving them money. Um, we can do a whole episode on why those types of videos are problematic, but in short, if you have to record yourself doing a nice thing for someone in need, then are you really doing something nice or do you just want the praise of people telling you how kind you are while also making money off of someone's suffering? Like, it's not cute. Um, and as for the other part of the question as to what styles of videos would I never do, see Afro mentioned. <laughs> But what about you? You know, we align so much because, <laughs> you know, I don't subscribe to a lot of, you know, spiritual content a lot of the times. I respect anybody's beliefs as long Absolutely. as it's not hurting another person. That's mm -hmm. fine. But I think that a lot of those videos come at a point of exploiting people who are going through pain and trauma <sighs> And exactly. saying certain things that are are just going to resonate with a whole lot of people who are struggling with a lot of things so that they come to you and you give them a little bit for free. You give them maybe a little bit on a live, but then you push them to that link in the bio to get your paid services. Um, another content creation ick that I have, just like you don't like food waste videos i don't like makeup waste videos the videos where somebody dumps an entire bottle of foundation in their hands and just like oh i see what you're saying I got you now. And like, yeah. like the hundred coats all... of da, da 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 and stuff like that right yeah. because it's like it's it's it's, it's <laughs> no for me like it's, a... it's wasteful it's also can be bad for the environment depending on you know what type of products you're using because there are some products that you can't really wash down and, you know, it can create, you know, all different types of microplastics in the environment. And it's also just like, you know, donate those to a women's shelter or something like that who can use it. I get that a lot of times, you know, these are big beauty creators who get tons of PR packages that mm -hmm. they'll never be able to go through all of their makeup, but you can give it away to a friend. You can mm -hmm. give it, donate it to a wind shelter. You can, radical idea, you can do a giveaway for your followers. <laughs> not a radical like, idea. <laughs> there's just so many ways to not waste a whole bunch of makeup. And I think that there's a big difference between the dumping a whole bottle of foundation on your face versus the ones who like 
draw an outline and like draw an outline of the look and then transition into actually doing the look like yeah there's there's levels to it that you can get that before and after without having to be so extreme and speaking of that there's so many before and after beauty videos that just ugh <laughs> it's just because a lot of times you see them and they're like pushing their head all the way back to give them like so many double chins they are putting intentionally putting wrinkles on their face or hyperpigmentation and it's I'm not saying that you're problematic for doing it, but you have to realize that that can reinforce certain beauty standards. That being overweight and having a double chin is always the before. It's the ugly before, and then you transition into not having a double chin at all, and you're, you know, snatching all of this stuff, and it's like, mm, that reinforces something that I don't like, or I even the dark spots because you know a lot of black people deal with hyperpigmentation and you're saying that having dark spots or some form of hyperpigmentation makes you ugly it, it's not giving so it's like it's very icky to me when i see those types of videos like you can do transitions without it being so extreme or if you want to be extreme with it Get extreme with the makeup look. Do a yeah. creative makeup look. You know, go beyond your normal glam and turn yourself into an alien superstar. I think I see what you're talking about. Is it? Yeah, I remember this challenge that was done a long while back. I don't know if you remember this. You said, when you said that it brought up an old memory in me, but like those videos, I forgot what the challenge was called, but it was like people were drawing dots on their face like it was acne and like mm -hmm. drawing like a split in their, like, you know what I'm talking about? What was that right. challenge called? Do you remember it? I don't remember what it's called, but I've seen it so You've many You've seen times. it, right? And it's like, oh, I'm, and I have the unibrow and da-da-da. And mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, transition to, oh, yes, I'm beautiful. And it's kind of like, okay, but bitch, some people like having unibrows. Some people have acne and they can't get rid of it. Some people, right. you know, have a, a gap in their tooth. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean they're ugly. It doesn't mean that there's something to be ashamed of. So, yeah, I see you. So, what type of videos that you would you would never make? Uh, like you said, see afro Um <laughs> You know, I I feel like it's one of those things where I just, uh, there's a lot of reasons why I won't do it beyond that, but I also think that I won't do any videos that puts my community in danger. And, Ooh. you know, those before and afters can be something, because if you look at the comment section in a lot of those videos, you see the most misogynistic comments ever of like, this is why you got to take her swimming on the first date and oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And that's how you get the videos. Like, you can't use all that makeup to cover your fat body and just, like, all of these oh. nails. Using this as a talking point, as a, you know, leg up to just be misogynistic. Because even if this is a silly little video, you are giving a platform for people to be hateful, to be bigoted, to be misogynistic. And you know, sometimes if you want to do a video to clap back, that's okay. But I'm never going to make it my point to consistently do videos that give hateful people a platform. Every now and then, yes, because I'm a petty person and I'm going to be continue to <laughs> I'm be a petty. Bitch you list for drama. <laughs> Period. Like, let me. You know what? My followers, go go report this because it mm -hmm. is hateful. Get it deleted. 
get the account banned. Do something with that. Like, there was this one video that I did that was about astrology, and the comment section just wasn't it. You know, people were doing all different types of trauma dumping. Like, I had comments like, oh my gosh, I'm a Cancer, and I was groomed by Capricorn. But you seem nice, though. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why are you sharing that with the crowd? Like, yeah. Or just, like, so many people were leaving very dangerous messages of just like mm. oh my gosh you know people just hate on my sign and this is why nobody loves me my life is worthless all of these things that was getting really close to like seeming like suicidal ideation and like i said before i don't want to do anything that puts my community in danger as somebody that struggles with mental health issues when i follow certain people i I'm not saying that they have to be positive all the time or this and that, but I think that there is a level of care for your community that you should be doing, especially if you have a platform. And I don't want somebody coming to my page and just seeing a whole bunch of homophobic and bigoted yeah. stuff and like feeling, you know, feeling icky about it or coming to my page and seeing a lot of trauma, trauma dumping and, um, you know, self-harm talk and all of these different things mm -hmm. because that can be triggering to somebody. And so I don't want to have that a part of my community. I want my community to feel like a safe space for people to come and just play with makeup and creativity and explore themselves through makeup. Like all of that other stuff I am not featuring. So I decided, you know what? If this is going to happen every time I do an astrology video, I'm just not going to do them because <laughs> I don't want to subject myself to that. And just like that, that's why I don't do the extreme before and afters with like the double chins and all of that mm -hmm. stuff because I don't want to subject my followers, which, you know, my followers are like 97% female. Mm -hmm. I don't want to bring misogynists to my page to create to create this harmful environment this toxic environment in the comments because yes you know sometimes you can clap back but sometimes you are just coming to social media to escape from all of that nonsense that is happening in the world and you just want some place where you can enjoy yourself and that's what i want my page to be for them exactly now, so many children grow up never knowing the full scope of what their culture has contributed to society and history. So it's time for change. Let's take a pause, rewind, and remind the world just how we did that. Lorraine Hansberry was an activist and a playwright best known for her groundbreaking play, A Raisin in the Sun, about a struggling Black family in Chicago's South Side. After the play's release, Hansberry became the first Black playwright and the youngest American to win a New York Critics' Choice Award. A Raisin the Sun, named after a line in the Langston Hughes poem, Harlem, A Dream Deferred, opened at New York City's Ethel Barrymore Theater in March, 1959, becoming the first play written by an African-American woman to be produced on Broadway. The iconic work was then made into a 1961 film starring Sidney Poitier and Ruby Dee. And 
Prior to Raising the Sun's fame, Hansberry, who never publicly acknowledged she was a lesbian, joined lesbian rights group Daughters of Blightis and contributed letters about feminism and homophobia to its magazine. The latter, according to LGBTQ historian Eric Marcus, host of Making a Gay History podcast. Marcus notes that Hansberry didn't officially come out until nearly a half a century after her death, when in 2014, her estate unsealed diaries and other writings in which she revealed her sexuality. Hansberry died in 1965 at just 34 years old from complications due to pancreatic cancer. Black women. But black women. <laughs> like, I love this because, you know, I'm a scholar of African-American literature. Mm -hmm. and also in college, I was a dramaturg for Les Blancs, our production of Les Blancs, which was um, Lorraine Hansberry's last play that she didn't get to finish because of her death. And like, she is such a talented, such a talented person. And like being able to go into the archives and see some of her original documents and notes and things like that was truly a marvel. So I highly recommend anybody checking out Lorraine Hansberry's work. There's also uh, FBI files on her. And mm. it's really interesting if you want to learn more about FBI surveillance of Black people, especially during like the 1960s, during the civil rights movement, Black power movements. There's FBI files that have been, you know, declassified and like are out there. So go check that out because there's a lot of interesting things out there on Moraine Hansberry. Absolutely. And so for my we did that, it comes from an article in from blackpast.org in which we learned that Black Arts West was Seattle's first black theater and eventually became a nationally known entity across the United States. Evolving out of the civil rights black power movements of the 1960s, it was founded by Douglas Q. Barnett in 1969. Black Arts West functioned as a three component program, theater, dance, and an art gallery displaying the work of local and national artists. As a division of the Central Area Motivation Program, an anti-poverty agency, it was charged with getting young people involved and learning the necessary skills to survive and flourish in society. The program was able to attract a host of young people who thrived on the discipline and skills imparted by a top-notch professional staff, including Lorna Richards, Eva Green, and others. Over the years, the theater mounted approximately 100 plays and top-notch directors such as Ali Woods Jr., Gilbert Moses, Jason Bernard, and Beatrice Wendy all came to direct plays for the theater. A significant number of students became professional actors who later on performed on Broadway and regional theaters, TV, and professional dance companies. After 11 years, Black Arts West closed its door in the spring of 1980. Black people, black people, black people, black people, black artists, black artistry, black creatives, <laughs> black, right. Now, as always, thank you all so much for watching and keep the conversation going down in the comment box 
below. Don't forget to give this video a thumbs up. And if you are listening to us on our podcast, please rate and review on whatever platform you're using. You can also follow our podcast on Instagram and TikTok at The Melanin Margin for updates on new content. And if you like to follow each of us, our handles are at Daquan M-U-E. And Andre talks a lot. Now we will see you all next time on The Melanin Margin, where our goal is always to bring the marginalized to the spotlight in any way we can. Goodbye now.